Market Journal, television for agricultural business decisions, is a presentation of the University of Nebraska-Lincoln's Institute of Agriculture and Natural Resources. Promotional support is provided by the Nebraska Farmer Magazine. Partial funding is provided by the Nebraska Soybean Board and the Nebraska Corn Board. Well, thanks so much for joining us today on Market Journal. I'm Bryce Tuskit. As we say goodbye to June and hello to July, we join you today from one of the many University of Nebraska-Lincoln Extension events that are taking place this summer. Farmers gathered near Clay Center this week for the annual Weed Management Field Day. Throughout the day, there were numerous demonstrations of new technologies and herbicides designed for weed control and numerous crops for Nebraska. Coming up on today's show, we'll be discussing the four R's of nutrient management and get some tips when it comes to dealing with flies in your cattle herd. Plus, Jeff Peterson from Heartland Farm Partners is going to join us for an in-depth look at the markets. But we kick things off today with this story. Each year, the Farm Service Agency requires that producers participating in several programs such as ARC and PLC submit an annual report regarding all cropland use on their respective operations. The FSA uses this data to determine payment eligibility and calculate losses for various disaster programs. Agricultural producers in Nebraska who have not yet completed their crop acreage reports after planting should make an appointment with their U.S. Department of Agriculture Farm Service Agency Service Center as soon as possible ahead of the upcoming deadline of July 17th. These acreage reports document a crop on a farm or ranch and its intended uses Filling an accurate and timely acreage report for all crops and land uses, including failed acreage and prevented planted acreage, can prevent the loss of program benefits. Producers should also report crop acreage they intend to plant, but due to natural disaster, were unable to plant. However, prevented planting acreage must be reported on a separate form. It's called the Triple C 576 Notice of Loss, and that's due no later than 15 calendar days after the final planting date as established by FSA and USDA's Risk Management Agency. Producers may also find it useful to visit Farmers.gov for a portal to access their FSA farm records, maps, and common land units. Through a new mapping feature, producers can import and view other shape files such as per precision agriculture planting boundaries. This allows producers to view, save, print, and label their own maps for acreage reporting purposes. Now, if you'd like to access the mapping features, you will need Level 2 e-authorization. Details on that program can be found at Farmers.gov. There you'll find tutorials on several topics, including how to use mapping tools. Up next is an opportunity to give pesticide containers a new life. Nebraska runs a recycling program for those containers, accepting various sizes and types. Since its inception in 1992, the Pesticide Container Recycling Program has processed and recycled over 2.5 million pounds of plastic. From one-gallon containers to 55-gallon drums, the disposal program will accept many shapes and sizes of those containers for recycling. However, there are a few specifications that will need to be met, and it's also important to note, while this program is meant for recycling containers strictly intended for agricultural materials, containers for general household hazards will not be accepted. 
The pesticide container disposal program does accept one or 2.5 gallon pesticide containers specifically for agricultural use. They do need to be high density polyethylene or HDPE, which is a type of plastic that these products are made of. It, they will also accept 15, 30, and 55 gallon pesticide containers, crop protectant containers, and similar types of product containers, disinfectant, stuff like that, that are all agriculturally based. They do not accept household hazardous waste products. So if you have anything in your home that you're using for your sink or your bathtub, that stuff is not accepted through this program. However, some counties do have a household hazardous waste program. So I recommend reaching out to your local county disposal program and see if they have a household hazardous waste program for those products. Before any materials are taken, you will need to ensure all containers have been properly drained and rinsed to avoid any contact with residue that may still be present. We definitely don't want to have anything coming in that has residues on it. And when they get inspected, they will get rejected if they're dirty. They can be stained as long as they're actually cleaned. So. As Jennifer mentioned earlier, if you do plan to recycle any containers, keep in mind that the collection site managers do thoroughly inspect containers before accepting them. You must rinse or pressure rinse each container according to the label directions. It's usually best to do so at the time of product application, as delayed rinsing can result in dried residue in the containers that's often difficult to remove. Up next, nobody likes dealing with flies during the summertime, especially livestock producers. When it comes to cattle, flies can cause a multitude of problems. We recently caught up with an extension educator to, to discuss some mitigation tactics. Market Journal's Mike Straub brings us this story. It's no question that moisture has been a blessing for crops in western Nebraska this year, but for cattle, not so much. Stable fly population has been on the rise and the number of them have been greater than normal. Over the past few weeks, the horn fly is also on the rise. It's encouraged for producers to apply a means of fly control. Well, certainly, uh, especially in the west central to western part of uh, Nebraska, we've had uh, an abundance of rainfall, which has actually helped produce a very substantial stable fly uh, population for our pasture cattle and uh, we're experiencing numbers like I have not seen before because of the moisture and the uh, uh, material that they develop in. Uh, we had a lot of uh, cattle, cattlemen uh, feeding hay during the, the winter time, and some of that gets spilled out, and if we get enough moisture on it, that provides a very uh, good medium for stable fly development, which we have seen now I've heard reports uh, ranging from Cook, Nebraska, all the way up to Shadron, experiencing significant stable fly numbers. And our own research cattle here, uh, we have uh, numbers that I have not seen before on our pasture cattle. So uh, the ingredients were all there. Uh, the eastern part of the state, not so much. You guys are uh, experiencing some drought uh, issues there. So stable flies are a little bit lower. But I have re heard reports uh, in the northeast part of the state where uh, numbers are, are fairly high in, in feedlots. Now switching gears to another pasture fly is the horn fly, which um, stays on the animal almost exclusively. It's a very small fly and most of the time producers will see them on the, the backs and sides of animals. And um, we have seen numbers increase rather dramatically over the last two weeks. Um, if producers have not uh, applied any method of fly control uh, to this point, I would encourage them to, to do something. 
there we have a, a variety of different methods and it all depends on their management system as to which one is going to work but it is critical to provide some means of uh, fly reduction out there because uh, both fly species in, impact uh, animal behavior and animal productivity. So uh, I would encourage our producers to do something. Face flies have been a problem as well. They usually peak in late July and into August. Drought situations in the eastern part of the state could reduce the face fly population as moisture is a big factor in its life cycle. Uh, we have seen a few face flies starting earlier this week. Uh, I would expect to see numbers increase as we move into July. Normally, here in the, in the west central part of the state, we see face fly numbers kind of uh, peaking in uh, late July and early August. Now that may shift because of the weather that we've had uh, this spring, but uh, historically, Face fly numbers are always present in the eastern part of the state because of higher moisture uh, situations. That may change a bit this year if they remain in a drought because they, uh, they have a little bit longer life cycle and if uh, moisture isn't there, the manure pet will dry out before the larvae complete their development. So a lot of it depends on uh, mother nature. Um, the uh, fly uh, life cycle is very dependent on, on moisture and heat to, uh, to complete its uh, uh, life cycle. So uh, there's a few things that could happen between now and uh, the end of July, and it just remains to be seen what our, our weather patterns will, will do. As we move through the summer months, it's highly encouraged that cattle producers use some method of fly control. Weather has been a big reason that flies are on the rise this season and they could be a factor in reducing the production of your cattle. Reporting for Market Journal, I'm Mike Straub. Now, if you'd like some more insights from Dave on this topic, we've included a link with a recent Beef Watch article on this topic. You can find that over on the Market Journal website. Let's shift our focus over to the grain markets now. This week, we caught up with the president of Heartland Farm Partners. Here's my conversation with Jeff Peterson on Wednesday afternoon. Good to have you here in the studio. Yeah, it's always enjoyed being here, especially during the summer here. There's always lots to talk about, Price. There is plenty to talk about. You and I have our conversation midweek. We started the week on Monday, came out with crop progress report. Those numbers showed deteriorating U.S. corn and soybean ratings. So what does the market do? Well, it goes lower. Explain that one to me, Jeff. That's always that interesting one, isn't it? Is, so you sit back and you think about it. So it kind of all got started probably middle of last week when forecasts started adding a little bit of moisture in. And then uh, we did have some moisture come in, some nice rains across North Dakota, parts of South Dakota, you know, scattered through Minnesota, and then you catch that northern part of Iowa, but you just caught the very northern edge of Illinois and, and everybody was looking at that going, well, what are conditions gonna do? Well, conditions come down. But the thing about it was, as we started the week though, we ended up still had the funds long on basically corn and soybeans. They were long about 58,000 contracts. Each contract is 5,000 bushels. That would have been on the corn side. On the soybean side, they're long about 76,000. So they were starting the week with the opinion, hey, you know what, maybe the market can still go higher. But as we progressed through the week, what we did, 
saw the lower conditions, lower than, not just lower, but lower than what the market was expecting. You came in at 50% good to excellent on the corn side, that was 5% below last week. Trade was only thinking probably two, and a, two maybe three, and beans came in 3% lower than last week, and trade really wasn't necessarily thinking even they'd be off that much. But when, when we saw that happen, then the funds, they started getting out, and what we noticed, we have something we can watch in the markets, it's called the open interest, and as we're watching that open interest, what we were seeing is that open interest was declining. What that told us is as we progressed through the week, we physically had individuals that those trend following funds that were long the market, they were selling off those longs. We didn't necessarily have new longs selling and pushing it down. We just had existing longs that were getting out. Now, what's been amazing about this move, and this is kind of goes back to how quickly it went, on the way up, it only took us about five days to go from where the market really accelerated this last phase higher, but, but uh, actually it took us seven days to go up. I should correct myself there, Bryce, but boy, we pulled back and took all that back in about five days. Yeah, been really quick here. You and I, again, having this conversation on Wednesday, I wanted to make sure everybody knows that because we don't know what's gonna happen to the weather at this point. Eric will tell us here a little bit his outlook, but there is a chance for some, some rain. The models seem to be shifting a little bit here. Tell me your thoughts on that. Yeah, that's exactly, and that's the rest of the story on what's going on at the market. So the market comes in, they, they start selling off, they see some additional moisture coming in, and, and some of the things I'd say that, that brings a little more may relevancy to it. It's it's in the shorter term forecast. We're talking probably by the time we get into the weekend where you've got some heavier forecasts actually coming in. And what it looks like is that could bring some rainfall across the southeast part of Nebraska, southern Iowa, also over into the central part of Illinois. But on top of that, the, the big picture, everybody goes, well, we're in an El Nino, which should mean some better precip. Well, we haven't got it yet, but it sure does look like we've got chances for some additional rain. Now, the direction of the market is gonna be dictated on how much rain falls and what do we see for actual moisture coming after that as we get out into next week. Fingers crossed, we see some moisture the crop producer, that's what you want, but as you're kind of alluding to, one direction, I guess, if we do continue to see some rain is lower, right? Yeah, that's exactly the thing we see. Now, the thing that's probably just a little bit different, and we're gonna talk about really the topsoil and subsoil condition levels in a little bit. The thing that probably helps us a little bit here is that we know that soil is very dry, not just on the very top side, but also down in the subsoil. Tell me more about that. You track data like nobody else I know personally, Jeff. So tell me, what are you seeing when it comes to uh, the moisture in the ground at the moment? Yeah, and, and that's something that we've been watching very closely here. You know, temperature-wise, we watch the temps, we watch the preset, but each week on Mondays, uh, NAS puts out the crop progress information. Generally, the information that gets thought about there is kind of the good to excellent ratings. How are the crops doing? How are they progressing? But at the very back end of the report, they also do report on the topsoil and subsoil. So as you talk about the topsoil, their reporting there is on the top six inches of soil. And as you can imagine, that subsoil is very dry. As a matter of fact, we're sitting there at 60%. So what we do is we go through and we tally up basically all the individual states' data and we say, okay, let's, let's look at the corn and soybean producing areas. And we come up with that basically 60% of the corn and soybean producing areas are short to very short on topsoil moisture within that area. Now, what's interesting about that is as we compare back and, and look back on that, last year, or, or basically, let me phrase this in a way, when we go back to 2012, that had been the time when we've been a little bit uh, drier than this, it was 62%. 
But what's interesting is in 2012, though, it did accelerate, and by the time we got the next week, it was all the way to 75% short to very short. Then we come in, we look at the subsoil because we know that the subsoil moisture is very dry. As a matter of fact, the subsoil moisture is setting at 61% short to very short. And when we looked back to what that was in 2012, um, it was only 52.7%. So we are much drier in the subsoil, so we don't have as much physically to draw on. Now, the thing I would say, though, is that on the subsoil, as we go into next week, last year it did jump up to about 60.1%. So we know that we're going to have to get some very timely rains in order to be able to keep moving this crop along. When I interject, a viewer question we received this week has to do with the price of corn. Kind of go back onto that topic. Is $6 corn in the rearview mirror? We've got a question on that front. Yeah, that's a good question. And, and I would say if the rains come in as forecasted and we would get normal rainfall going forward, then I would say $6 is in the rearview mirror. But what I would say is that with this year where we're setting and the spottiness of the showers and the fact that we would physically still have the very dry conditions on that subsoil that we do, I'd say there's still a chance of it yet, Bryce. There's a chance. That said, what kind of thoughts do you have if you've got corn and soybeans right now, especially on the new crop side? Are you making some sales right now with that, that in mind? Yeah, so great question. So I'm going to address also the old crop, if you don't mind. So on the old crop side, on both the corn and bean side, if you're down to your remaining, you know, kind of your last few bushels in the bin, I'm okay just kind of sitting here and waiting and seeing because the reason I'm willing to wait is that this crop is going to probably tassel and probably pollinate just a little bit later than what we normally would. We've got those those dry subsoil conditions, so I, I think we can. It's going to be a little bit harder to get uh, the the market to you know just roll over and stay down. Now, as we move on out to the new crop side, as we take a look at new crop, you know, on corn and beans, if you haven't sold anything in here or you're behind on your sales, I would just kind of still sit and wait in here. Now, what you have to be prepared for though is you do have to be prepared for that market to pull back a little bit lower yet. Um, but when it is time to make sales in here, make sure you're using some of the hedge to arrive. We think basis will improve, especially on the new crop side yet. All right, Jeff, we're going to pause our conversation there. Do you want to make our, our viewers aware we're going to have a special report with you on Friday, a couple of USDA reports coming out. You and I'll break that down. That'll be available on the Market Journal YouTube page. We'll see you then. All right, sounds great. My thanks again to Jeff for joining us this week. Just to remind you, if you ever have a question you'd like for me to ask one of our future market analysts, you can feel free to submit those questions via email or through social media, and I'll pass your question along. Well, being a vendor at a farmer's market can be a rewarding experience. Plus, it can also be profitable. But there are numerous rules and regulations that do need to be followed here in the Cornhusker State. Vendors must also be good at hospitality and customer service. You can learn more about what it takes to be a vendor at a farmer's market in the latest issue of the Nebraska Farmer. Well, it's time now to turn our attention over to the weather. We check in now with meteorologist Eric Hunt. Eric, viewers in the Panhandle might want a break from some of the rain and storms we've seen out west, while those in eastern Nebraska still holding their breath for rain. I'm guessing the latest drought monitor is going to reflect, reflect that sentiment, isn't it? Well, thank you, Bryce. Yes, uh, Western Nebraska actually probably would welcome a little break with the thunderstorms. The good news is uh, the rain out there is actually showing up with some improvements in the latest drought monitor that was released on Thursday morning. So most of northwestern Nebraska is now actually free of both drought and abnormal dryness for the first time in a long time. The bad news, though, is eastern Nebraska, we've seen uh, degradation, so expansion of extreme drought into Gage and Jefferson counties. And we've seen exceptional drought push into western Cass counties. And for the first time on record, we've seen uh, some exceptional drought moving into western part of Omaha.
This is reflected uh, in the veg dry. This is kind of a look at outlook of vegetation. Uh, so we actually see the worst conditions are kind of between Aurora and Seward and down to Saline County. Um, you know, just hearing from extension personnel in those areas, uh, lots of stories about crops that are near death or will be there soon without rain. The good news is a lot of places did pick up adequate precipitation on Thursday mornings and we have good chances going forward. Uh, so one thing we have avoided so far this year has been extreme heat. Uh, but Wednesday was our first taste of uh, some higher temperatures, uh, or at least, you know, upper 90s temperatures across portions of eastern Nebraska, uh, particularly in and around Lancaster County, where we saw upper 90s and 101 degrees at the Lincoln Airport. Um, this was, these were not record temperatures, but just given the severity of the drought, these temperatures were not welcome. Uh, good news, though, is we did get some precipitation Thursday morning across a lot of the southern half of Nebraska. And with the ridge of high pressure kind of centered here over Texas, uh, it's finally situated itself where we're actually getting some really good return flow and with the trough coming in from the west, we actually are in a situation for the next uh, few days or this weekend where we actually should get uh, adequate precipitation across most of Nebraska and into Iowa, Illinois and Indiana where they also desperately need the moisture. Uh, this is also is reflected in the European model. Uh, so we have model consensus that there actually should be fairly significant precipitation across a lot of our area for the you know, next three days or through Sunday night. Uh, looking at the 8 to 14 day outlook, uh, we should have some troughing in the northern plains and northern upper Rockies. So we actually should be looking at reasonably cool temperatures uh, for the time of year across western Nebraska and seasonal temperatures uh, eastware, elsewhere. Uh, so good news here is I don't believe we should actually be looking at any real extreme heat, which is good you know, given the drought. Uh, better news here is it looks like a good portion of our area or most of actually most of the continental United States actually is looking at above average precipitation. Uh, so very good news here. My one word of caution is that we have seen uh, signal for precipitation show up in the models routinely the growing season in the 10 to 14 day outlook that hasn't necessarily always materialized. So maybe take this with a little bit of grain of salt, but regardless, uh, good news here to report today. Thanks. Back to you, Bryce. Alrighty, thank you for that update, Eric. We appreciate it. Finally today, the University of Nebraska-Lincoln is offering its third annual 4Rs of Nutrient Stewardship Field Day. That event is coming up July 6th. This educational opportunity will discuss the key advantages of following the 4R system. We recently caught up with the event organizer to learn more about this approach to nutrient stewardship. Today on Crop Talk, we're discussing an event coming to the Eastern Nebraska Research and Extension Center, of course, located near Mead, Nebraska, on July 6th. That is the 4Rs Field Day. Job at Iqbal joins us to discuss that. So there are four R's to this field day. What are the four R's? What's the field day all about? So four R's of nutrient management is a crop nutrient use philosophy. So using this philosophy, uh, you can make sure that you use fertilizer in such a way that it improves nutrient use efficiency and minimizes the risk of nutrient loss to the environment. Uh, the four R's of nutrient management f emphasizes the fertilizer use with the right source, right rate, right time, and the right place. Using these four R's of nutrient management, you can make sure that the nutrients are available at the right time when the crop needs it. Uh, this uh, strategy of 4 hours nutrient management ultimately improves crop production, increases uh, profitability, protects the environment, and uh, pr pr improves sustainability. Uh, in the previous 4 hours field days, uh, we have been focusing more on the nitrogen management. But in this year's field day, we are addressing all three major crop nutrients, including nitrogen, phosphorus, and potassium. 
have to imagine this year's field event, you're inviting uh, all sorts of ag producers to come out to uh, the Eastern Nebraska Research and Extension Center. But beyond uh, the traditional uh, farmer who, who would attend, who, who are you inviting? Who do you want to come? So anybody uh, can, can attend this event, but this event will be most beneficial for all those stakeholders related to crop production, water resource conservation, uh, nutrient management, and ag agribusinesses. Uh, we really uh, encourage all those producers, crop consultants, and, and, and uh, the stakeholders to participate in this event so that they can really know uh, how to optimize nutrient management, uh, not only to improve uh, crop profitability, crop production, but also take care of our environment as uh, using the four R's approach can help to improve nutrient use efficiency and minimize the risk of nutrient losses. Well, typically at these field days, there's uh, something interesting to catch the eye when it comes to demonstrations or some field studies. Is that going to be the case again this year? Right, yes. Uh, we will be having some in-field demonstration for the participants. So the attendees will be able to get hands-on experience uh, to evaluate some tools to, uh, to see the crop yield response at different levels of those fertilizers like uh, potassium and phosphorus fertilizer. They will be able to s uh, determine the crop yield response by using those fertilizers. By participating in these field days, uh, the participants will be able to recognize uh, the optimum level of those nutrients that again can help uh, to optimize the crop production while uh, minimizing the risk of uh, nutrient loss. A lot of times with uh, these kinds of events, there's continuing education credits offered. Is that going to be the case for the 4Rs event? Right, yeah. We are going to offer uh, 4.5 of those continuing education credits at this uh, event. And then also attendance in this event will also count uh, towards nitrogen certification for the participants from the north, uh, from the lower north NRD. Okay. I mentioned the event is going to be taking place near Mead, Nebraska, July 6th. What are those when it comes to the event details you want to share and make sure folks are familiar with? Right. So the event uh, will be starting uh, at 8.30 uh, in the morning. Uh, and then we will have the first session in the auditorium. It will be morning session inside. There will be some presentation. Uh, from uh, researchers and professors from the University of Nebraska and the Iowa State University. And uh, then in the afternoon, we will be heading towards the field demonstration. So the event will end at, at 3 p.m. All right, Javed, before I let you go, final word from you. What else you want to share with us about this upcoming event? So the four hours of nutrient management is really a uh, you know, key strategy for optimizing nutrient management, and especially like when we are having these nitrate contamination in Nebraska, we really want to know how do we optimize our nutrient management, especially the nitrogen management, and reduce these issues with uh, groundwater nitrate contamination. I would say among different best management practices, 4R is a top uh, best management practice that can help to optimize the crop production, uh, improve the sustainability of our agricultural ecosystem in Nebraska. If you'd like some more information about this field day, you can find that over on the CropWatch website. You can also click the link that we've posted over on the Market Journal website. That is going to do it for this week's edition of Market Journal. If you did miss a story, be sure you're following us on YouTube and on social media to join in on the conversation. We hope to see you back here next time. Until then, I'm Bryce Duskett, wishing you a safe and productive week.
Join Market Journal online at marketjournal.unl.edu. You can also follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Promotional support is provided by the Nebraska Farmer Magazine. Partial funding is provided by the Nebraska Soybean Board and the Nebraska Corn Board. Market Journal is produced by the University of Nebraska-Lincoln's Institute of Agriculture and Natural Resources.